T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This past week has brought a lot of talk about remapping Chicago's wards, plenty of angry words, dire predictions, and even attempts to downplay it all. But if that hasn't been enough for you, wait until you hear what could happen next. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Wednesday was supposed to be the deadline for the Chicago City Council to approve a new census-driven map for the city's 50 wards. At least it was a deadline to avoid having the voters decide among competing maps in a referendum next year. But there was too much acrimony and distrust between the Council Black Caucus and the Latino Caucus and with the Council's Rules Committee to even have a vote. The committee's own map wasn't even unveiled publicly until Wednesday's meeting, Mayor Lightfoot had decreed that the process should be transparent and the public should have input. Well, that input is going to come in a series of hearings, but nothing is simple, not the deadline, not the input, nor the possible outcomes. So we're going to try to sort some of this out and to explain why you should care with the help of backers of yet a fourth proposed map, or the first if you're counting chronologically. I am joined in this conversation via Zoom with two of the people who helped us start our coverage of the redistricting processes at the state and city levels, and a member of a panel that drew a map that is getting a lot of attention too. Madeline Dubeck is the executive director of Change Illinois. It's a nonpartisan, nonprofit group that promotes ethics and efficiency in government and elections in Illinois. Chandra Van Dyke is the Chicago project manager for Change Illinois, and she was the shepherd who helped guide the formation and the work of the Chicago Advisory Redistricting Commission. That's an independent group that held neighborhood meetings, seeking lots of support from community groups and residents to fashion what is being called the People's Map. My third guest is a member of that commission. He's Chris Kanich, an associate professor of computer science by profession and a community activist by nature. He lives in Bridgeport, and I thank all three of you for uh, joining me for this discussion. Let's start uh, with, uh, with you, Madeline. Uh, the first city council hearings are scheduled for this coming week for a ward map drawn behind closed doors and unveiled Wednesday. Uh, Madeline Dubeck, give us your assessment of where we are right now. Well, I think it's a a win for the people that we're now going to have more hearings. Um, I hope those hearings will actually be accessible to people and at times when they can participate when they're not at work 
as we did with our Chicago Advisory Redistricting Commission, all of their meetings and hearings were held at night and on weekends with translation services available and uh, live streamed and, and run on Facebook Live so that as many people could access it and participate as possible. Uh, where we're at now is, you know, it's, uh, it's a wide open ball game to be, to be honest. Um, we've got more time to try to find 10 members of the city council to support the people's map to get it in front of the people. I'm sure that Alderman Michelle Harris, the chair of the rules committee is uh, working hard to try to get to 41 to stop a referendum from happening. Uh, and the Latino caucus is reaching out, trying to line up votes and get support and um, making contingency plans. They filed their map uh, with the city clerk yesterday or earlier this week to get it to a referendum to voters. And so um, the battle continues. Now, Chandra Van Dyke, uh, bring us up to speed uh, uh, on where the people's map fits into this process. I know Madeline uh, uh, touched on some of it, but and also how that map can build any support among the tug of war that's going on among the aldermen. Well, ultimately, the role that the people's map is playing right now, it has given the people an option to actually be a part of uh, their democracy. It allows them to have a voice in how they're represented over the next 10 years and to actually engage in a process that makes uh, a lot of difference for them in how they function in their everyday lives in their communities. Um, so it's bringing something new to the table, bringing an opportunity for people to organize differently uh, about the resources and, and the things that they want for their communities. Um, and uh, give me the second part of the question again, Craig, I'm oh, sorry. Well, the, the aim here is to build more support among the aldermen and obviously people too, so that they can pressure aldermen, but how do you build that support when a lot of this has been focused on a frank, frankly, a tug of war between two uh, caucuses in the city council? Yeah, it's really important for people to be more educated about how this this map and this process is really going to impact their everyday lives and to bring those issues to the forefront so the residents can understand why it's important for them to have a voice in their communities. These maps determine a whole lot more than what people uh, typically think they do, right? We They determine access to basic resources. They determine investment in community projects, crime rates, and how crime is addressed in community health care and access to quality educational institution. What we, the commission, strive to do was to keep communities whole as much as possible so that the residents and community can have a voice about access to these different resources in their communities and also empowering them to have one alder or one to two alders per community to minimize the number of aldermen per community so residents can know who represents them and can ultimately get those resources. We find that the people's map can be a common ground for both the black and Latino caucus as they make their decisions um, because it does maximize minority um, representation in the city. It has, the people's map has 37 total minority majority wards and that's the most that any map has proposed this far. And it was done with the collaboration of community members and the input of people who live in the city of Chicago. Um, and it was performed publicly and is still available for people to this day to review. Which is a good point at which to bring in Chris Kanich, a commissioner with that commission. And uh, Chris, uh, Talk to us a little bit about why this process 
uh, was different and what difference that process makes? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Craig. And that's a great question. I think that the biggest difference really ha has definitely been to begin with was how proactive we were about having community meetings, having them everywhere throughout the city, having them live translated like Madeline had mentioned. But another equally, possibly even more important part of redistricting is actually drawing the lines. Now, as we all know, the lines for the city council map are drawn in a locked room with all the windows blacked out and nobody gets in there except one at a time, right? Our process was as much of an opposite of that as you could possibly imagine. Not only were we taking that testimony in person, every single one of those lines we drew was live streamed, recorded. And what I'm most excited about for this is that this gives the people of the city the ability to answer that question, why'd you draw that line that way? Because so many people come to us and they say, why is it like this? Why is it like that? And city council, you know, read the smoke signals, whatever have you. But for ours, it's easy for us to go back to the testimony that we received. It's easy for us to go back to transcripts and go back to recordings and explain to people like, hey, maybe we did split up this specific community here that you're a part of, but we did it knowing on the balance that we had to keep these other communities together. And when we've explained that to people uh, who have come to us with these questions, they're, they're very understanding and they see that, oh, transparency is a good thing for, for government. And that's something that I think is a big win for our process. Craig, Chris, can I jump in for one sure, second? Sure, I just Madeline. want to make the point that, you know, people need to stop and think about what happened on Wednesday of this week? That was the deadline by which the council was supposed to have voted on a map. On that day, for the first time, paper copies of what I like to refer to as the mystery map were handed out in city council chambers. There was nothing to accompany it. It was not in any way interactive. There was no report explaining how these lines were drawn or who lived within each of the lines of each of the wards. It's a stark, stark contrast to what this commission did for many, many months over the summer and into the fall. And while we're making comparisons, I do want to uh, uh, throw another one at Chris because uh, your uh, talent as a computer uh, programmer uh, came into play here because uh, you not only have looked at the people's map and helped craft that, but you've looked at the other maps too. And uh, I saw the, uh, the uh, display you put up with basically is an overlay of, of all the maps. So what do you make of, of what you saw when you were able to plot those lines all on one map? Uh, that's a great question. So, uh... What I saw is certainly important. Another, another aspect that's really important to me, why, why I've put those maps online in the way that I have is that everybody deserves the ability to take a look and better understand their communities, how their communities are being split up. And that's probably the biggest difference. When, when you look at our map, there, there are far fewer communities getting split up. It's much more intelligible. It's much more equitable. And it's... Uh, it's something that I think that the people can, can definitely believe in. When I compare our map 
to, for instance, the, the rules committee map, I think it's very shocking to see the difference that I believe comes from like our side where we start from a blank canvas and we try to keep communities together compared to their side where they start from the already existing, already very gerrymandered structure and then attempt to contort it even more. And th there's no question in my mind that the vast majority of those decisions have to do with individual alders trying to figure out how am I going to maximize my own power as an incumbent, either by drawing mega developments into their own ward or by making it easy for them to get reelected by making sure that competitors aren't in the same district, by making sure that their strongest precincts remain and their weakest precincts get drawn out, that those things are what shine through to me when I compare these maps. And now I wanna widen this uh, to deal with, I think what has to be a reality in the issue, of course, these maps, any of the maps, technically are supposed to be drawn according to census figures and uh, technically are, uh, have a lot of rules. And we, I want to talk about that a little bit a little down. But here's a basic one. People who live in a community may have a pretty good idea of, say, how they want their own property to look. Um, but a neighbor, the person who lives next door, may have a completely different and conflicting idea of how he or she wants their property to look. Uh, and that's, I would think is true, that kind of tension is true of communities themselves. Um, we, had a, we had a number of people from uh, the Lincoln Park area, for example, during what hearings were held and what few hearings were held uh, on the whole concept of redistricting, uh, where they were basically saying, leave us alone. <laughs> um, you know, we're very happy with it, but other people are saying we need to move some lines because of population, because of other things. So how do you deal with the kind of, I mean, let's face it, what you do in one ward is going to affect the ward next door. How do you balance that and not have people unhappy either on one side or both sides? Madeline, first. Well, I think the, this particular, the Chicago Advisory Redistricting Commission um, certainly confronted that issue a lot and um, struggled with it. This was not an easy process by any stretch, uh, particularly at the end. Um, there was a lot of debate and discussion about um, the McKinley Park neighborhood when it came to whether or not it would be possible to create the first Asian American majority ward. And in the end, this commission uh, determined to take part of McKinley Park and draw it into the first ever drawn historically Asian American majority ward. It was not an easy thing for the group to do, uh, but they, they listened to people in the community who turned out and advocated for themselves and for what they wanted and they responded to it. And uh, you know, there were several instance, instances like that along the way, um, but yes, you're right. It's, it's not always easy and not everyone always agrees or has the same vision for themselves. Um, you know, we, the commission listened to people from McKinley Park who also asked for their community and neighborhood as they see it 
to be kept whole. And so it became a very difficult decision. Um, but, you know, I think the, the proof was that we got some feedback from people in McKinley Park afterward who said, look, you know, I may not entirely agree with the outcome, but I appreciate that it was done openly and transparently. And it's still way better than it is currently. Hey, Craig, I just wanted to add, um, just to sure. follow up with what Madeline, I think that the, the simple answer is that you bring those key players, those residents to the table, and you allow them to have a voice in the process so that they, they feel included, and that they have explanations for why the map is drafted the way that it is. So when they ask those questions of why the line is here, you can have an explanation for them, but then they also have the opportunity to actually sit and have a voice and watch the mapping actually happen in their face so they can understand these decisions weren't easy to make. You know, it, it was very challenging, but the decision was made with you, not just for you, but with you in collaboration with community. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. This week, we're discussing the bitter battle over Chicago Ward remap and what happens next. My guests are Madeline Dubeck, Executive Director of Change Illinois, Chandra Van Dyke, Chicago Project Director for Change Illinois, and Chris Kanich, a member of the Chicago Advisory Redistricting Commission. All three of them are involved with the so-called People's Map. I want to touch on one other issue uh, that uh, I, I suspect, Chandra, you had to deal with directly, and that is there are some pretty uh, rigid technical requirements uh, for drawing maps. Um, they have to be the wards have to be more or less of equal populations, and the more or less is spelled out in the law. I mean, what kind of deviation you're allowed to go up or down from those. Then there's the Voting Rights Act, there's the census data. Um, uh, is it even realistic to uh, mesh all of these things together and come up with something that people can feel good about? And, and, and frankly, uh, how can people all seem to be meshing these things and come up with completely different maps? <laughs> yeah, I think it's realistic to mesh these things together. And I think that's exactly what the people uh, map proves. The commission did the work and considered all of these, had these as guiding principles, voting rights, as keeping communities whole, equal population, compactness, all of those things were things that the, co the commission uh, kept at the forefront as they did their work. I think it's definitely possible to do it. I think the reason why you people are doing this or using all of these different uh, principles to guide their mapping, or at least they're seeing that, um, but the difference is, the reason you're getting different maps is because all these maps are being drafted in, in different settings, right? So you have the people's map that was drafted with the people, by the people, publicly, right? Um, and so the, the, there's a level of accountability that comes with that. You know, you have to explain a lot more. Um, and these other Kapiti maps were done, um, really, we don't know where they were done or what the setting was like, because none of us uh, as residents or even as commission members or as the project manager, none of us as, you know, residents of the city of Chicago were welcomed into the spaces to know um, what it took to draft those other maps. But specifically, the people's map was done in public um, while keeping those guiding principles at the forefront. Chris Kanich, let me ask you, as the guy who actually created the map that allows you to look at all four maps uh, at the same time, uh, are, the are the maps close enough that 
some lines could be moved around that, you know, can you look at that, though, that mishmash of, mish, of maps? I shouldn't have even thought to say those you words say. together uh, and look at them and see something that could be made out of it. Yeah, definitely. That, that mishmash of maps is hard to look at when you're putting all these lines on a, a map together. I, I've struggled a little bit with how to really look at those things. Thankfully, th there are many other uh, technical experts that are, have a huge civic streak that are all discussing this map, trying to build you know, the best visualizations, the best technology we can use to better understand these things. And that's fantastic. I really love that aspect of Chicago. The question that you have here, it, the answer is yes, there is a way to find compromise. The, the most important part from our process is that our enti entire process has been open source, right? You know, you have the recordings of the hearings, you have the lines that were drawn, you have reasoning for all of these lines. And so what we can actually do with our map is say, hey, where did we get a lot of testimony? Where are the most important impactful differences? And not just because we personally think it's important, but because we have the backing of the people of the city saying, this is a very important aspect of the map. So I absolutely do believe that uh, further compromise would would certainly be possible if our ultimate goal is to get the best map adopted for the, the people. I will unfortunately say that I, I don't feel very hopeful about getting our map adopted wholesale by 41 alders, but that in, in my own personal opinion is a good thing because if we don't have 41 alders all agreeing on one thing, we, we have this opportunity to have the most ultimate, best possible public input period, which would be a referendum in June. And so that's what I'm most excited about seeing, uh, you know, aspects of our map pushed forward and ratified by 2.7 million people instead of 41. And I'm going to want to explore that a little bit, but I've got a question for Madeline first, because uh, Latino caucus chair Alderman Gilbert Villegas says, if it hadn't been for Mayor Lightfoot and her insistence that she's not going to sign anything that doesn't have public input, that there wouldn't be a public process happening now at all. But Madeline, you've been very critical of the mayor. Uh, so who should we be listening to? We should be listening to everyone, Craig. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a this is a healthy debate. Um, I agree with uh, people I've seen in social media who've said that this is uh, really the best outcome, that we're now going to truly have a healthy debate and back and forth and discuss all of this. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was important uh, for accountability purposes to remind everyone and remind the mayor that she very much campaigned on bringing in the light and on um, having an independent redistricting commission. And in fact, she spent most of her career prior to being a government official, um, helping to fight for that at the state level. Now let's talk about the referendum because um, when we spoke with the mayor from Washington or earlier in the week, um, she didn't say, oh, I hate the idea of a referendum, but she did point out 
that it's, it can be very expensive. Uh, it is difficult. Um, and she suggested that it's kind of hard to get people to really pay attention and understand the, the subtle differences uh, between maps. Uh, what, what are your, what's your feeling about it? And, and any of you can jump in here too, uh, Chandra and Chris, about the, the, the ups and the downsides of a referendum. So, you know, I, I want to take issue with this notion that this is going to be costly. It's going to be costly uh, for different groups pushing different maps. It is not going to be costly for the public. We're having an election in June, no matter what. This is one question at the end of the ballot. Um, the ballot would have been there anyway. We're going to host an election anyway. So let's uh, put some context around that. Um, you know, I think it's a good thing that the people have a chance or will have a chance, we hope, to have a say in how the foundation of their democracy is formed. And more people need to pay attention to this. It is the very heart of, as Chandra has said earlier, um, determining whether you're going to get the representation and the resources uh, whether you know who to call when your streetlight is out or you have uh, a rat problem in your alley or you're worried about public safety in your community, uh, we need to have ward maps that make sense for the people, not for the politicians. Well, Chandra, let me ask you, are you worried that this could come down to basically a, a, a fight that's fueled by funding? Uh, I mean, as we saw when the, the fight was over, the states uh, graduated or not graduated income tax now, that was a really expensive fight, as Madeline said, not necessarily for the government, but by the, for the people who were promoting things. Could the people's map get lost amid a very high stakes, high cost campaign? So I think it's important when we think about the cost that we, we decide what, what cost, what, what's, what's the cost of what, what are we really losing? We're thinking about financial things. We're thinking about the cost of a campaign, but when you carve awards in a way that decreased uh, residents' access to basic resources because they can't easily identify who's responsible for representing their neighborhoods, you're taking power from the people. And to me, that that is a far greater cause. Uh, that's a far greater loss for the residents of the city of Chicago uh, than to think about how these different groups are going to fund their campaign to push the map forward. The goal for us is to stay focused on giving the people the choice um, to empower the people so that they feel they have uh, power in their votes to choose who represent them and giving the people the choice to choose a map that truly represents them. Chris Kanich, as someone who has worked on this and put a lot of hours into creating a people's process and giving people access, how worried are you that aldermen are going to get together and say, oh, we really don't want this thing to, <laughs> to, to, to go to a big public vote and are going to try and forge some kind of compromise that will get to 41? I, I wouldn't say I'm not worried about it, not scared of it, 
but I, I'm very confident that we will be going to a referendum in June. And that, that's the outcome that I'm definitely excited about. I think the, the core issue to me is that we've gotten so much positive feedback from the public on our process. We have shown Chicago that a better map is possible and that a better process is possible. So the alders that are going to be considering, do, do we defect and get to 41 and forestall a, a referendum, forestall the people having a voice, or do we, uh, what will eventually then happen is there will be a referendum on whether all of these aldermen who told the people they don't deserve a voice in this, whether they should get reelected. Granted, they'll be running in wards that they hand drew to make it as easy as possible. But we've heard from so many people from so many different wards who, you know, they, they have learned a lot. They are not going to go back to not understanding the lines, not understanding how important they are, and not understanding the possibility that they have, that, that they should be given the ability to help define what is their neighborhood and what is their ward. So there's going to be a referendum no matter what, whether it's in June on the map or in February of 2023 on alders that don't want to give people a voice in the process. Excellent point, Chris. And that is going to be the final word in this discussion. I would like to thank Chris Kanich of the Chicago Advisory Redistricting Commission, Madeline Dubeck and Chandra Van Dyke of Change Illinois, all three of you for uh, spending this time with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 WBBM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.